The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Good morning, everyone. Thank you, Gesho. Um, a uh, perfectly imperfect uh, beginning to um, uh, the, the, uh, the sitting this morning and to the talk. So, uh, how are you? How do you feel right now? Maybe you feel great. You slept well, had your coffee, your apartment is warm, all is right in the world. You probably want this feeling to continue. Or perhaps you feel a little tightness in your chest. You're just noticing it now that I mention it. I can imagine Gesho might have been feeling a little tightness in her chest <laughs> earlier today. <laughs> um, but you, maybe you've been worried about something for the last few weeks, a kind of a background level of anxiety. And you know this tightness is how your body responds to stress. You start to breathe into that tightness. You'd like it to go away. Or perhaps you're a little bored. You're kind of indifferent about whether you want to sit through another Dharma talk this morning, uh, and you find yourself suppressing a yawn. Our practice is to be present with whatever arises, and inevitably feelings arise. We refer to the five skandhas in the Heart Sutra, sensation, conception, perception, discrimination, awareness. And the first of these is sensation. Our senses and sense objects and objects of mind affect how we perceive and are present in the world. And of course, as practitioners, we probably know how we can allow our feelings and attachment to feelings, our thoughts and attachments to thoughts to rule our lives. So I know how certain circumstances uh, can trigger strong emotions that cloud my judgment. For some of us, certainly for me, uh, conflict can tr trigger very strong emotions. Um, actually, a friend mentioned to me last week uh, that when she is uh, in a situation where there is conflict, uh, she has panic attacks. Um, she starts breathing rapidly and, and sometimes just has to get out of the situation. Uh, for someone else, conflict might trigger anger. Um, you know, for some of us, it's fight. For some of us, it's flight. If we're human, we have emotions, passions, desire, and aversion. How do we practice with difficult emotions? How can we transcend them? The first line of Komyozo uh, Zanmai, um, which was our last study text, is do not be pulled around by states of mind or objects. A few weeks ago, after winter session, um, Ryosho asked about the Japanese tradition, which we continue of ringing 108 bells on New Year's Eve. And the ringing of the bell, um, I, I did a little rub research and I discovered that the ringing of the bell um, symbolizes the wish that we'll be, we will be free of the 108 worldly passions in the new year. Um, and, and Fusho gave a lovely talk um, a few weeks ago uh, about inviting the bell to ring 
and if you hadn't haven't heard it, I encourage you to to go back and listen to it. And of course, our, our minds all work differently. Um, Fusho uh, gave a lovely talk about her experience ringing the bell, and I wanted to know where the number 108 came from. Um, so in my web research, I found this uh, little thing that I posted, um, which said that there are six senses, sight, hearing, smell, taste, touch, and mind. We chant the, the negation of these in the Heart Sutra, no eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, mind. So there's six senses, six. And there are three ways of experiencing each sense, positive, pleasant feelings, negative feelings that are unpleasant, and neutral, kind of meh, doesn't excite me, doesn't bother me. So three times six gives rise to 18 feelings. And we can either either crave or be averse to each of these 18 feelings in the past, present or future. So three, six times three times two times three is 108. So this was on a random web page and I'd say it's kind of interesting if you think about it. I mean, are you clinging to feelings from the past? Do you spend your time imagining positive feelings in the future? I was interested in finding uh, the source text, so I kept digging um, and I found one source. I don't know if it's the definitive source um, for the number 108 um, in a very old sutra, um, the Vedana Samyutta. Uh, that's from a large collection of sutras in the Pali Canon, um, part of the Tripitaka. Uh, three baskets of scripture that are foundational in Theravadan Buddhism. So let me read two verses from the Vedana Samyutta. The first one is about concentration. And the word bhikkhu um, is monk. So uh, or it says uh, bhikkhus. There are these three feelings. What three? Pleasant feeling, painful feeling, and neither pleasant nor painful feeling. These are the three feelings. A disciple of the Buddha, mindful, concentrated, comprehending clearly, understands feelings and the origin of feelings, where they finally cease, and the path leading to their destruction. With the destruction of feelings, a bhikkhu is hungerless and fully quenched. So this verse echoes the Four Noble Truths with feelings in place of Dukkha. A, a disciple of the Buddha understands feelings, the cause of feelings, the cessation of feelings, and the path leading to their cessation. I'll read another one. Um, uh, this one is about abandonment. So it says, when bhikkhus, a bhikkhu has abandoned the underlying tendency to lust in regard to pleasant feeling, the underlying tendency to aversion in regard to painful feeling, and the underlying tendency to ignorance in regard to neither painful nor pleasant feeling, then he is called a bhikkhu without underlying tendencies, one who sees rightly. He has cut off craving, severed the fetters, and by completely breaking through conceit, he has made an end to suffering. 
The Vedana Samyutta has 31 sections that go on in this vein. Actually, one of them uh, talks about uh, the number 108. Um, I won't read that one for you because it's actually quite long. Um, but if you're interested, you can you can search for for this uh, this sutra. Uh, but it examines different aspects of feelings: um, our lust for pleasant feelings, our aversion to pain, um, and uh, as it says, our our tendency to ignorance when we are indifferent. Um, and in this sutra, over and over, the Buddha contrasts one who is ruled by their feelings with one who recognizes them as impermanent, conditioned, dependently arisen. One who recognizes that feelings arise from contact with sense objects and are the root of suffering. And as a result of this understanding, the Buddha praises the instructed noble disciple who understands the nature of feelings and who experiences feelings with equanimity. And when we chant the four vows, we chant the words, desires are inexhaustible, I vow to put an end to them. So I, I wrestled with this, this, uh, this text for a little while. Um, uh, it's an early Buddhist text, um, as I may have mentioned. Um, and I realized that it that it um, was was written before the the great um, Prajna Paramita teachings that are um, actually the basis of, of our practice before the Heart Sutra uh, and the Diamond Sutra and the Platform Sutra and the Vimalakirti Sutra. Um, uh, and so it's it's emphasizing um, uh, uh, purification uh, practices, um, uh, purifying our minds. Um, uh, and there is a place for that, but um, I've always I've always had difficulty with the idea that desires are desires are inexhaustible. I vow to put an end to them, and I had difficulty with the wording in in the Vedana Samyutta. Uh, and I realized, you know, that this, this these words desires are inexhaustible. I, I vow to put an end to them are, are a, a translation. Um, it has a nice short sort of poetic uh, ring to it. Um, but another translation might say um, unwholesome desires, or addictions, uh, or obsessions. Uh, one translation I found um, reads, uh, greed, hatred, and ignorance rise endlessly. I vow to abandon them. So that's very different, isn't it? It's easy to be tripped up by words. And so as I was just mulling this over, I, I realized I, I, I don't want to put an end to feelings or desire. If we put an end to all feelings or desire, we'd all be dead. This is not our practice. What would life be life like without the joy of laughing with a friend? What kind of person would I be if I didn't feel sadness when I encounter suffering? And if I didn't deeply desire and work for the release of the suffering individual, who, who would you be or, or who would I be um, uh, if, if we had never loved or never been loved? So I, I remembered actually as I was working on, on, uh, on this talk, an old song, um, uh, it was a song uh, called Feelings. Um, that was recorded by Morris Albert in 1975, um, which was the year I graduated from high school. 
So um, if you're of a certain age, you, you may remember this song. Uh, it starts like this. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. Trying to forget my feelings all Teardrops rolling down on my face. Trying to forget my feelings of love. Do you remember how strong your feelings were in high school? Think back to those times. Your hormones are surging. You're so tired of doing what your parents told you to do. You don't have enough life experience to know who you are, and yet you are exactly who you are. Now, I, I wouldn't want to go through those years again, um, but how strange and difficult and emotional and important those years are. And you may have seen me sort of, you know, even though it's meant to be a love song uh, or, you know, um, unrequited love or whatever, um, you may have seen me smiling a little bit as I was singing it, because um, the thing about this song, um, when I was in high school, we used to rock around singing this song at the top of our lungs, um, making a complete mockery of it. <laughs> um, we were overwhelmed by how overwhelming our feelings were. Um, and the only option we had um, was to pretend it was all a joke. Without our feelings, we would not be complete human beings. And then I, uh, a little bit later, as I was thinking of this, I was reminded of, of um, uh, Dylan Thomas's poem um, uh, when his, to his dying father. And, you know, if you go back to these lines from uh, uh, the Vanyata Sam, uh, Vedana Samyutta, uh, with the destruction of feelings, a bhikkhu is hungerless and fully quenched. Okay, yeah, I get it. Um, but his father's dying. And he says to his, he, he writes to his dying father, do not go gentle into that good night. Old age should burn and rave at the close of day. Rage, rage against the dying of the light. When we sit, we connect with all that is. The winter stars and spring flowers, our joy and our sorrow. We aren't trying to numb ourselves. If you're trying to numb yourself, you're not practicing. We aren't trying to cut ourselves off from our feelings and from our lives. We're simply manifesting enlightenment. And we can sit with it all because we develop this deep faith in our Buddha nature. When we notice again and again the arising and falling away of each moment. We start to appreciate what each moment has to offer. When we notice again and again 
how we respond to the circumstances that arise in our lives, which responses cause suffering and which responses reduce suffering, we're able slowly to drop our attachments, to refrain from unwholesome actions, and to care for ourselves and others. After years of sitting with the Sangha, we learn to take refuge in Buddha, to take refuge in Dharma, and to take refuge in Sangha. We learn to not be pulled around by states of mind or objects of mind quite as much as we once were. And we learn to accept when we're grasping and being pulled around by states of mind or objects of mind. The true teaching about transcending difficult emotions is not to try to put an end to them, though we sometimes do this. The true teaching is to notice them and to recognize when we become attached to them, to recognize our clinging. It seems counterintuitive. Why would we cling to difficult emotions? But we do. And this is why we train. When we're sitting, if a thought arises, we notice it and we let it go. If desire arises, well, maybe we find ourselves chasing it and attaching to it. But the process of sitting inevitably means that we notice it and we let it go. Because as it says in the Vedana Samyutta, it is impermanent, conditioned, and dependently originated. So I hope that you find uh, the enumeration of 108 kleshas or unwholesome states of mind that lead to unwholesome actions to be useful. Maybe you'll notice that you're dwelling on a painful feeling from the past and you can let it go. Or maybe you're wasting a good part of your day fantasizing about a pleasant feeling in the future instead of actually doing anything to work towards that pleasant feeling. And you'll stop that. The teachings are really only useful when they're connected to your own experience. And to experience, you need to pay attention. As long as we're alive, we will feel. We will experience joy and pain. But wholehearted practice can give us a sense of lightness in the midst of it all. One gift of practice is a sense of freedom. Not freedom from causes and conditions or the emotions that they give rise to. Freedom in the midst of causes and conditions and the emotions they give rise to. And there's no better example of this lightness, this freedom, this sense of playfulness than our uh, dear friend, Layman Pong, uh, who we're studying this practice period. I, I love the simple stories um, that we're reading about him. Um, they actually don't tell us much about his path to becoming the mature practitioner that we hear about, that we're hearing about. 
But in these stories, what a delightful teacher Pong is. Um, he teaches without trying to teach us anything at all. So I'll end with, with one of the stories um, from the sayings of Layman Pong. It's uh, entitled, The Distance to the Mountaintop. Um, and so here, um, in, there are a section of stories about the layman's uh, interactions um, uh, with a, a master named Chi Feng. And so the distance to the mountaintop starts um, on another day. The layman asked Chi Feng, do you know how far it is from here to the top of the peak? And the commentary uh, actually, actually says that this question uh, is a play on Chi Feng's name, which means reaching the pinnacle or reaching the peak. So the layman asked Chi Feng, do you know how far it is from here to the top of the peak? Uh, and Chi Feng says, I'm not sure if you can really get there from here. Which I love that statement. I'm not sure you can get there from here. The layman said, if it were so awfully steep and treacherous, I wouldn't have asked you about it. And Chi Feng says, well, you tell me how far it is. And the layman says, one, two, three. And Chi Feng says, four, five, six. And the layman said, well, why not seven? And Chi Feng says, well, you say seven and I'll say eight. And the layman said, you've made it to the top. Chi Feng says, you find, oh, sorry, I've finally amounted to something. And the layman and Chi Feng both laughed and then went for a walk together. These two Zen practitioners, cavorting freely in the Dharma, just teasing each other, just enjoying a joke. Feelings, nothing more or less than feelings. One of the gifts of this precious human life.